0: Listening to Death of the Reader and welcome back from Radio Thon. If you joined us live over FM, it's so good to have you back here in the fold, in the Murder Mystery World Tour. We are, of course, covering Edgar Allan Poe's DuPont Mysteries. Last week the Pearline Letter and the Rumong. This week, the mystery of Marie Roger. Yeah. Let's just recap what actually happens in this story. Essentially, what happens is that Edgar Allan Poe's unnamed writer, as well as Auguste Dupin, uh-huh. the detective of our previous two stories, yeah. uh, happen upon a case that is brought to them after a woman's body is found floating in the River Seine yes. in
1: Paris. Not the Hudson River. That's right. Not that's Rouge right. In the slightest. Yeah. And
0: uh, this is a woman who is very well known in the community, and she had disappeared some months before and then come back and then... Mm disappeared again and this time she turns up dead and they find all of her belongings down by the riverside after her corpse is found floating down the river Mm
1: -hmm. the twist is is that this is based off a real case yes it's based on the disappearance of mary cecilia rogers who was found dead on Mm -hmm. july 28th 1841 and bearing in mind that he's just released the murders in the room or his first venture into crime Mm -hmm. fiction and about how you can use your knowledge and your reasoning skill and like reading the newspapers. And mind you, this is how Poe would have found out about this case. He would have read in the newspaper Mm -hmm. and tried to piece together the facts based on the accounts through the print media. And this is his attempt to put his theory into practice to really show what his theoretical, mathematician, poet mind is capable of when faced with a real mystery. And he just slams against the pavement. Like, this story is not only meandering and way too long, we spend so much time talking about the physics of, of like decomposition my my favorite
0: part of reading this was getting to the third occurrence of them talking about why a corpse wouldn't float if it was in the water for too short a time and thinking to myself did i accidentally like (laughs) scroll up and go back to where i was previously in the
1: story or has he used it a third time and he uses it a well, third the best time. part is he comments on it. Mm-hmm. He says, to most readers, it may seem as though I'm wasting my mm-hmm. time, but he doesn't he stop. He doesn't stop, and he doesn't <laughs> you know? really justify
0: it. <laughs> the best part about this, though, is during yeah. the purloined letter, Poe was talking about how mathematicians aren't mm. very good at reasoning. Yeah. And then in the previous story, before the purloined letter, we get to see Poe's attempt yep, at his using mind. his mathematical mind to solve what is, I guess, a biology and physics problem yeah. and just falling face first and it's amazing it's crazy It kind of reads to me a bit like Poe initially started putting this story in the paper Mm. And, you know, it was serialized As most publications were back then And then after the first couple of publications Where he mentioned Mm -hmm. the body floating or not He probably got letters back Mm -hmm. Arguing about whether or not things would actually uh, work that way And then he just went at it He just went harder He's like an opinion writer (laughs) in the newspaper Who
1: gets told they're wrong and just can't let it go We can only speculate on what happened there But it definitely seems like He's started off with a decent theory because the big question on everybody's minds, it seems, just from the research that I've done, is whether the murder was committed as a crime of passion or by somebody that the victim knew, Mm. or there was just a random gang who took her stuff and killed her and threw her in the river. Yeah. But, like, she was very well known to, like, hang around places and bring in clientele wherever she went. So she was quite valued in the community. And so that was the big question. It was, did somebody of import, yeah. you know, kill this woman for a credible motive or was it just a random violent act? Mm. And so that's why so much of his uh, of Poe's deliberation is based off of, was this committed on impulse or was it planned out? He has this whole tangent where he discusses how she was probably gagged with a piece of her own dress rather than a handkerchief, yep. which means that it may well have been a game because gangs don't carry on handkerchiefs. That's right. Like, the level of reasoning that this man goes into is a complete rabbit hole. He just dives into rabbit hole after rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I mean,
0: that's why I made that speculation, and yeah. that's kind of the really mm. fun thing about reading this, yeah. is that the actual text itself is incredibly tedious, Oh yeah. but it's at awful. the same time, it feels staggeringly authentic to just see Poe commit to the bit here. Mm-hmm. You know, he yep. self-aggrandizes the whole way to the end, including basically not finishing the story and saying, well, I can't tell you mm. what happened because I was right. And that we well, well it right? would we just
1: be improper. Well, That's, that's <laughs> the thing that's so interesting to me, because it is considered one of the three great stories about DuPont, The great is objective. I think there are here. only three but by But this story, it doesn't really have a beginning, middle, and end. It has mm. a beginning... And then it has a meandering middle and then it doesn't have an end because he doesn't try to create a fictional story out of this real world event. Like, he, he sort of does. Like, he doesn't use the right names and he sets it in France, but he doesn't really create a drama. He doesn't make anything up really. He just reasons. He, it's nothing but mm. pure reason. The other
2: thing
0: that was interesting to me is that in the uh, mystery of Marie Roger, yeah. it's presented as though yeah. her eloping with a naval officer is something that DuPont has reasoned out, oh my goodness. whereas supposedly that was just something that had been printed in the papers. Mm. So yes. Poe here is taking credit for things that his characters are reasoning They're out here, his... which were really kind of just publicly accepted information, whether or not
1: they were yes. actually true. Like, the actual circumstance of what happened really isn't that complicated. Mm. She had a baby in her that she didn't want, and she couldn't, because she's a very well-to-do woman, the the real Mary Cecilia Rogers. She couldn't get rid of that baby by normal Mm. means, and so things didn't go well for her. And that's the story. There is potential here for a more interesting story. That doesn't mean it has to involve ghosts or anything like that. But, like, the fact that we have such a strong adherence to the actual facts that occur... Poe is very clearly like stretching what he has read and as you say, like attributing it to the intelligence of his detective Dupin when a lot of what he's saying is is kind of common sense or is too far away from common sense to ever really be considered. Yeah. And I do think that when we come to the purloined letter, which we talked about last week, that story has very two distinct sides mm. to it, right? It has the absurdity of where does this man hide his purloined letter? Is it in his house or is it on his person? It's neither. Who knows where it could be? Yeah. yeah, It's a very simple story. But then he also, in in the Poe learned letter, goes on these huge these rambles and rants about mathematics and logic and poetry. Yeah. It's very interesting, I think, reading Poe too long in the future, 100 years in the future, <laughs> 150 years, and trying to pick it apart. Yeah. Because the sort of writing that Poe was doing was considered to be the highest of literary fiction at the time, at least – so far as its legacy is concerned, and yet you look back and you see that even Poe wrote some crappy stories. Mm. It's, it's kind of encouraging almost. Yeah, it is. Even it, though he is so highly regarded, mm. you know?
0: I suppose, you know, in the context of this being a well-known true crime case, Poe yes. would have had a leg up in that people would be interested in the case itself and kind of willing to tolerate the mm. worst parts of his writing. But also, you know, <laughs> maybe it's a piece to talk about how much smaller the world used to be. You know, the number of people living in New York where this happened would have been significantly smaller than it is these days.
1: For sure. I I do very much value this story, not in that it is a good piece of fiction, but it is a very interesting hearing into the the time period. Mm. And as I say, seeing that Poe, despite being You know the best writer of all time, or and so many people being inspired by his works. Like they're also kind of toss. Yeah, well, I think the other
0: interesting detail in that is that even though the story is pretty Mm. mediocre at best, Mm. you can still actually see a lot of the structural archetypes of the detective breakdown scene that would come to be common in the golden age and even in some novels to this day Mm. just the way that we introduce a piece of evidence and then break it down and speculate on it Mm. you know throw these hypotheticals around feels very familiar to the detectives that have come since you know when i think of poe as a writer, mm. I don't think much about his detective fiction, no, but no. there is still a lot of satisfaction in coming back to all three mm-hmm, of these and mm. seeing how distinctly that stylistic influence still pervades mm. modern detective fiction and, you know, golden age detective fiction.
1: Yeah, well, I definitely feel that the three line that I'm most affected by, I guess, is the idea of competition mm. where Poe, you know, as I say, he is trying to educate people and tell people you can reason too if you just try- but, like, in the other two stories we discussed last week, Dupin is in competition with the police, yeah. especially in the and Letter. But even in this story, Poe is in competition with, with everyone else who mm-hmm. knows of the real world crime. And he's almost trying to outsmart his readers, in a sense. He's trying to outsmart the people in his neighborhood and say, <laughs> because I'm abashed of logic and reason, let me see if I can like reach the real truth mm-hmm. because he has written a text before that elevated his discussion of this popular story is also elevated by his reputation in a sense
0: yeah no i think uh, i think that's a good place to wrap up this portion of our discussion we will be back towards the end of the show with a more brutalization of the reputation of edgar Allan poe which i'm sure will finally <laughs> strike him down from the echelons of great writers in history that's the hope see you then Stick around, you're listening to Death of the Reader, here on 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader, Flex here, for your Murder Mystery World Tour. Hey, over the past couple of weeks, it has been Radiothon on 2SER, and up here on the podcast, where this episode is, or if you're listening to the replay show on a Thursday afternoon on 2SER, you might have noticed there wasn't a lot about it up on the Death of the Reader podcast. And it turns out that our scheduling tool had a bit of a snafu. I think it was my fault. I'm not entirely sure. But that means that the good folk who listen in on the podcast weren't kept up to date on all of the wonderful stuff going on for 2SER's Radiothon. If you're unfamiliar, Radiothon is the time of year where we all get together and try support community radio so that we can keep stories, ideas, and music running, because this must be the place that you want to come if you have anything that you are interested in, be it murder mysteries, be it music, be it social issues, be it news and current affairs. SER has the lot with some really, really insightful independent voices from up-and-coming talent here in Australia. Over the course of Radiothon, we've had a series of prize packs that you could enter to win. And of course, if you became a subscriber at any tier level, you would get a little gift pack from us, including the Listening Post magazine, reflecting on the past year of 2SER's adventures, as well as some other goodies. But because of the... uh, aforementioned snafus. You guys didn't get to hear about that. So just between you and me, I spoke with the team and we've arranged a little deal where if you go up until the end of October, we're extending it for just a little bit until the end of October, you can still score yourself some of those prize packs. So 2ser.com is the place to go. There should be links on the front of the website, or you can go to 2ser.com slash supporter form, S-U-P-P-O-R-T-E-R-F-O-R-M, and uh put yourself in put your details there pick which prize pack you're interested in and hopefully you can uh still score yourself one of those prize packs but either way you will of course get the subscriber pack with the listening post magazine bumper sticker and some other goodies and uh depending on the tsu subscriber could also score yourself a t-shirt i'm uh, currently wearing my radiothon 2020 t-shirt and uh they're good they're good quality shirts they're good quality shirts we are going to be having a good fun run through to the end of Death of the Reader this year, including review season. If you have anything that you want to send our way so that we can perhaps cover it next year on the show, consider it for review season. If you have some thoughts on some books we've covered, at Flex and Herds is the place to go and do it. We really appreciate your patronage here on the podcast, and uh, we hope that this little bit of goodwill (laughs) can make up for us neglecting to inform you about Radiothon this year. So go up to ser.com, put in your details up there if you're interested in supporting us. It is such a wonderful way to make sure that we're able to keep putting this show together. And uh, you can also on the website find our contact details if you did want to send through anything Coming up right now, I have an interview that I did on the Radiothon edition of Death of the Reader, talking with Sam from Faber Writing Academy. They were a sponsor of Radiothon, so we had Sam on to talk about the work that they do, how important it's been for writers that you might recognize, including people like Emma Viskick and RWR McDonald. Regardless of whether you choose to send money our way, we still massively appreciate you listening in, rating, and uh, leaving a review, whatever it is that you do to keep engaged with Death of the Reader it all counts. So up next, Sam from Faber Writing Academy. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Thanks to 2SER 107.3. You're listening to Death of the Reader. Happy Radiothon. Flex here with you, and I am joined on the line... By Sam Twyford-Moore from the Faber Writing Academy over at Alan Unwin here in Australia. Sam, it's so good to have you. Welcome to the show and thank you for your support through Radiothon this year.
2: Oh, no problems. We're delighted. I was so
0: excited when I first started hearing the promos that you kindly sponsored running here on the station because I know people like R.W.R. McDonald and Emma Viskick have both gone through the Faber Writing Academy and put together some books that I've really loved. So what is the Faber Writing Academy? What does it do and how do you help foster such wonderful talent?
2: Yeah, thanks. That's a good way of putting it. So Faber Writing Academy is a writing school, essentially, it's sort of like an adult education program. uh, And it's based in Allen and Unwin, which is one of the leading independent publishers in Australia. But originally, it came um, from Paris, there was a writing workshop uh, at the Shakespeare and Company bookstore, in Paris, uh, and then it moved across to London uh, with the prestigious Faber & Faber Publishing Company, Uh, and then in 2011 it came to Australia. So we've been running for 10 years in Australia, offering a host and a range of courses, um, including our flagship Writing a Novel course, uh, but courses that go into all genres of writing, Um, and yeah, we get great students coming through every year. We've had some students published over the years. Um, it's just a a neat little program that sits inside the, um, literary ecology of Australia.
0: Yeah. It's one really cool thing, especially looking at the list of books up on the website and seeing how many people that names I actually recognize have come through the Academy. Yeah,
2: it's really good. I mean, you know, like obviously not the goal of every course is for someone to get a book published, but it's really nice to see that. And we're very close to the industry. I mean, when I came into this job of running the academy, I was amazed really that a publishing house had a whole school operating inside its walls. I mean, that's such a unique proposition um, in so many ways. So out of, you know, the kind of courses that are offered in writing around the country, this one is in a lot of ways, the most close to the industry and just has that sort of practical focus behind it through that proximity.
0: Yeah. I mean, what are some of the courses that you run? I know the, the kind of flagship one is just writing a novel, which has had some big success come through at doors. What are the things that are out there and, you know, where should people who are maybe interested in joining those courses uh, be looking if they want to sign up for something that suits them?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, our website's the first place to stop favorwritingacademy.com.au. Um, but writing a novel is the big course that we run each year. We run that in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, and as well as We've started running it online for the first time. And then, you know, across other genres, we've got nonfiction courses, um, might be interesting for your readers to know that we have a crime um, fiction course that actually R.W.R. R. McDonald runs for us. He was actually a graduate and now teaches for us, which is a really nice story. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's really, that was a very sweet moment when we got him on board to do that because it's, you know, you like to see those kind of life cycles happen with writers. Um, so yeah, you know, like every genre under the sun, we've pretty much got young, adult um across the board we like to cater to um, what people are interested in writing
0: yeah we'll have details up on the website and of course up on Faber academy's website as well but uh the latest iteration of writing a novel i think closes a week after this interview is done so if you're keen to jump on that as soon as you can now's the time
2: yeah well the scholarships close we, we run a scholarship program so there's a free place in each of the locations up for grabs Um, and it's just a short application. So those close in in one week.
0: Yeah. I suppose the last thing that I should ask before we, uh, before we send off here, Sam is if you had one piece of advice that you see people discover and be surprised by most often in the courses, what would it be? What, what's the thing that jumps to mind?
2: That's a great question. I would actually say the most surprising thing for most people who sign up to our courses, and certainly this has been true in my writing life is, Um, You know, just how important it is to meet other writers, Not, not necessarily even the tutors, but the other kind of aspiring or emerging writers sitting around you. Having access to that kind of community is so important just in terms of sharing knowledge, but also supporting each other. All of our classes, you know, I was amazed when I came into this job they all meet for years afterwards um, and kind of continue as writing groups after the classes themselves. So that sense of community to be able to foster that is just fantastic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can definitely agree, even coming from the other side of essentially book journalism. So often we are just sending emails out to other writers asking if they can send us to other writers because they have that network. And it's such an amazing community of people out there who are so supportive of each other and the general book sphere. Totally.
2: It's the best part about it, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us here on Death of the Reader. And once again, thank you for your support of Radiothon 2021. It makes an enormous difference and we are forever grateful. Huge pleasure. Huge pleasure. You're listening to Death of the Reader. We will have links up on the podcast if you're curious to check out more about Faber Writing Academy. Stick around. Happy Radiothon 2021. Did you forget to
2: subscribe during Radiothon?
0: Well, today is your lucky day. What, it was my If
2: you subscribe to 2SER before the end of October, you can still go into the draw for our major prizes. And still receive all the benefits and freebies our subscribers enjoy. Join the 2SER family before October 31 by subscribing at 2SER.com now.
0: you're listening to Death of the Reader. Thank you to Sam from Faber Writing Academy for joining us there. And welcome back from Radiothon. For those of you who have been joining us live on FM for the past couple of weeks, it's good to welcome you back to The Fold. In case you missed it, we are covering Edgar Allan Poe's August DuPont Mysteries. Last week on the show, we did The Murders of the Rue Morgue and The Purloined Letter. This week, we are doing The Mystery of Marie Roget, based off a bit of a true crime-ish story, as we mentioned at the start of the show. And uh, Herds, unfortunately, this will have to be the very last time we, we ever address Edgar Allan Poe in this show. We will never be allowed to speak of him ever again on these hallowed grounds.
1: <laughs> it's all right. We'll just have to go back to Edgar Allan Poe and uh, talk about him in proxy. <laughs> I can, you know what? I can accept that.
0: All right, well, Herds, you want me 180 years in the future
1: to solve the real murder of Mary Rogers. Yeah, you have to pose me some sort of theory. Well, let's talk about what actually like happened in the death of Mary Rogers. I've already mentioned what the real conclusion was, and the piece of information there was found through her boyfriend's suicide right. note, or he admitted to having relations with her outside of wedlock, mm-hmm. and that's what led to her death. But the actual situation is a little bit more absurd. Yes. What actually happened is that Mary Rogers said, I'm going to go and meet with some friends. And then she went missing mm-hmm. and she left a suicide note. And yet she came back. And then a few days after that is when the actual death occurs. She goes to have a weekend with, with her relatives and she is found on the Hudson River, Mm -hmm. as we've mentioned, in in New York.
0: here, let me call your attention to the time elapsing between the first ascertained and the second supposed elopement is a few months more than Mm. the general period of the cruises of men of war. Uh Had the lover been interrupted in his first villainy by the necessity of departure to sea, and had he seized the first moment of his return to renew the base designs not yet altogether accomplished, Uh or not yet altogether
1: accomplished by him, of all these things, okay. we know nothing. I see you're quoting poet me, which is the ultimate defense of the intellectual. <laughs> I appreciate this. I mean, that's fair. I don't know. I mean, do you think that if we were to do a modern sort of retelling of this story, is the suicide note actually planted by the boyfriend? Was she attempting to to elope in that moment? Why did she come back? You you posed the theory last week that perhaps Dupin himself is the uh, mm. the jackal to to the hide. It's the other of, way around. Of himself. What do you think? Do you think that uh, your theory of Dupin performing the murders still holds water? If we take
0: uh, last week, my theory about the Hyde Dupin, otherwise known as D. Yes. We're kind of provided some level of alibi by the introduction of the story, because Mm. they're not actually there in Paris when the crime happens, and they kind of come a while later when they're called there by one of the innumerable people investigating the case itself. Of
1: course they are.
0: For it to be D, Mm -hmm. we would Mm -hmm. also have to have the- two shut-in characters, our narrator and Dupin, covering for each other, because our narrator would have to know that Dupin's physical body, whilst under the control of his alter ego D, had gone to do this crime, and those dates would be there, but we don't see that in the text, so it seems implausible, unless we are ascribing an accomplice role to our narrator, which, which you are. Well, I could force the theory to work, but why would I force anything to work when I have such bulletproof reasoning from Edgar Allan Poe to walk through?
1: Poe seemed to disregard the idea of of thugs Mm -hmm. almost immediately. Do you think that there are some thuggish accomplices dealing here? Because if Dupin is over in a completely different city, Mm -hmm. wouldn't he have to have some kind of proxy doing the murder for it? Well, here is
0: what I think the most plausible explanation is. I'm going to say that both a gang of criminals, a gang of blaggards is involved, as well as this fabled naval officer. And you want to know how this works, Herds? Tell me. It's because we know that Marie Roger was the talk of the town. The she one was. to keep an eye on she in was. the streets of Paris. Everybody loves We her. know that people around the time of the scene of the crime saw... Ooh. A gang of hooligans, a gang of blackguards, up to mm.
1: ne'er do well. It's true. Poe disregards them, saying that they had disappeared after sunset, which means that they must have not been around for the time uh, of the day. amateurs, tell amateurs. Me? What's your thought po, there? Poe, mm. Poe, 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 He uses an eyewitness account, he does. He
0: does, he does. But, as we know, eyewitness accounts are incredibly untrustworthy. Okay. And also, we know that the most likely culprit, if an individual was a Navy man, and thus... We can assume that our Navy man was a high ranking officer with guns under his command. Oh, guns, I pose yep. to you, Herds, that this naval commander sent his troop out, disguised as blackguards, into the Paris streets coming back for vengeance of the wench who had wronged him on a previous voyage that he'd been singing tales of to his crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we can assume that this captain, with, with his neer do crew, sure. came back and they thought, you know what? We are going to take the jewel from the city of Paris that has been beguiling us so uh-huh. on our latest voyages. So the captain, he tells his men uh-huh. to go out into the streets at night and cause a scene mm. that'll have eyewitnesses speaking of them. But they are disguised. No one knows these men at war. The captain comes in, he once again tries to seduce Marie Roger. Oh no. Takes her to this fabled thicket. Okay. And attempts to poison her.
1: What? Wow, where did poison come from? But should there not be no devices? Well, don't worry, don't worry. don't worry. Don't well, worry. How's this poison going to work? Father
0: Ronald Knox need fret not. Good, I'm glad. Because, as we know, it is the man who is found poisoned sometime after the crime oh, my near oh, my the goodness.
1: thicket. Wait, are you telling me. That the body is not actually Marie Roget, but the naval captain who sought to poison her? That is that be where the you're case going of. with it? That may
0: very well be the case. Oh my goodness. In these dark tidings. That I just want to me. ask you here. There is a mm. piece of evidence that Poe brings up. He, he says that there are bar wounds, yep. like uh, someone had been laying on the bottom of a small yep. boat yep. across Maybe the woman. Mm. And that is suggested as evidence of a single culprit. That is suggested as evidence that she was dumped into the water from said small boat. Mm. Hurts, do you believe this piece of information? Do you think that Edgar Allan Poe's reasoning is as
1: well, bulletproof? Are you, are you going to suspect Dupin? Is that where this is going? Because in that case, we need to doubt the evidence that has been deliberated to us. And I haven't found any other accounts of these wounds mm-hmm. on the, these boat interesting, boats. Interesting, interesting. So. Yeah. Maybe Dupin is, is lying to us or misleading us.
0: Here's what happens well, next, Hertz. Yeah. They set sail in this small rowboat. They head out across the coastline, eloping together what? as the as the ship's Wait, captain is preparing.
1: Eloping? Who's eloping? What? Hold on. The captain's been killed. Who is eloping? The captain hasn't been Roger? killed yet, herds. We're, we're oh, okay. getting there. We're getting there, okay? What
0: <laughs> are you just- Okay, sure. right? We're getting there. Tell me. So they okay. travel a- along the river, and sure. they stumble across a poor man on the banks of the river. Yep, sure. It's Dupont. Except oh, no. D is in control at this moment. <laughs> He climbs into the boat and he says, I need to get to Paris. And they think, okay, this is a little weird, but he he seems like a nice guy. And they begin making their way back to Paris. But then suddenly Uh Marie Roget has figured out what's going on and Uh chaos is uproared. In the rowboat? The two men subdue Marie Roget quite unfittingly to the boat in an attempt to stop her from escaping Mm -hmm. because D is, as we know, a villain and uh, this is clued into what this naval officer was doing. They get back to shore, and Dee says, all right, well, I'm going to bugger off now. But in the time that it took them to get back to Paris, Marie Roger has slipped her binds. Huh. And as Dee flees into the night to return, unbeknowing to our unnamed narrator, she strikes vengeance upon the naval captain. Okay, But her injuries from being oh poorly tied down in the boat and starved so for the days have her in such poor condition that she passes out as she attempts to row to safety, falls from the boat, and it's found in the river. days later.
1: Know. That makes sense to me. Yeah, because you could explain the like injuries of her being laid in the boat for too long because she just fell into the boat mm. and the boat tipped. Mm-hmm. She like rolled off in yep. the water. And that's that's, and that's it. That's
0: end. my explanation. You know that what? is the truth. I like it.
1: I think truthfully, I think there are far too many antagonists for the story. There's two antagonists. How There's too complicated? Many. You need one. There needs to be one antagonist because modern audiences will find it too confusing otherwise. I or have so. faith I in, in my audience, you know. even
0: if you don't. hurt.
1: No, I don't. There used to be one real antagonist and one thug character to pretend to be the antagonist for the I mean the but that's first basically what the story. Navy officer is. He's the thug character. But can I root for him? Is he played by an attractive actor? No, wait. An unattractive actor. He has to be played he, by he's, like he's, ruggish, he's probably played by like Jason Statham. Yeah, I'm down for that. Like ruggish, ruggish handsome. That's what I want in my thug character. There yeah. we go. Um Look, you know what? I see no flaws in this. Good. I feel really good about this. And befitting of the statue, uh, the statue even, mm-hmm. of Edgar Allan Poe, I will grant you for posing two different theories, one point. Oh, thank you so much. And <laughs> for considering a fantastically laid out theory involving Dupin, the one character you would never suspect to be evil. You have another point? And uh you know, what? you can have your third point just because of the thug character. If you have neglected to mention that, I might have docked a point, but I think you've earned your three points, Flex. Thank you. This script I'm is herds approved.
0: So blessed to, to share this time <laughs> with you. Sharing our love of Excellent. Edgar Allan Poe's The Mystery of Marie Roger
1: Herds. What do we have next week on the show? Uh coming up next week on the show, we are going to be covering an Agatha Christie story a Halloween Party, <laughs> and joining us next week as we discuss not just the book, but the live-action adaptation for the detective Hercule Poirot there, we're going to be having JJ from InGad We Trust, which is another crime fiction podcast. Awesome. We're going to him on the show with us to chat about it, and hopefully his expertise will overshadow ours in every way.
0: Yeah, if you are interested in finding out more about JJ's work, The Invisible Event is his blog. Yes. Of course, we'll have links up on the podcast when that episode drops. So we hope you uh, enjoy. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us this week here on Death of the Reader. This is your Murder Mystery World Tour here on 2 SCR 107.3. We'll be back. With a Halloween party next Next week.